Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Tolkien. Today, we are discussing Chapter 4 of Book 1 of The Return of the King, The Siege of Gondor. Now, as always, we're going to start with Katie, who's going to fill us in on what happened on this day in Middle-earth, as well as share the Elvish word of the day with us. Then we're going to swing over to Chase, who is going to briefly remind us of the events of last week's readings. Then we will spend, as always, the majority of this episode talking about today's readings. Once again, that's Chapter 4, The Siege of Gondor. After that, we'll fill you in with our favorites, both from the text and from the last week of our lives. I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. All right. Well, today is June 30th. I want you to take a second and let that sink in because today is June 30th. Which means right. tomorrow is July 1st, which means tomorrow is the first day of the second half of 2016. And which then is... we celebrate our Independence Day. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're yes. Canadian, <laughs> if you're Canadian, then tomorrow is your Independence Day. Though they don't That's call true. it that, and it's not really structured as that because the Canadian... Um, the the Canadian accession of kind of temporal independence was not a war, but rather a series of acts passed by the British Parliament. So hey, because if you're because ca- Canada's civilized. <laughs> I mean, there's a little civility, and I think being the first nation to like truly break away from, I don't know, the preeminent colonialist force of its time. But this is not another podcast. time nor place for this. <laughs> so I just want to say, if you're Canadian, uh, talking to you, Avon, have a happy Canada Day tomorrow. Hooray. All right, Katie, enough uh, enough bewildered <laughs> ranting. What happened on June 30th? So uh, once again, just a couple days rewinding on the 25th. Um, oh, gosh, I actually, I don't know if I want to tell you that. Um, no, I'm not going to say it. You're fine. <laughs> um, but on the 25th, something happens uh, that we will talk about, I am sure. Uh, <laughs> That's not ominous at all. No. I know. I mean, no, it's a good thing, but it's just something that I don't want to say like before we read it because I kind of want to see people's reaction when we read it. So anyway, uh, regardless, on the 29th, just yesterday, um, there is a host from the north that's approaching the Pelennor, which you should understand what that means by now. Pelennor's in Gondor. Mm-hmm. The, which the is in Gondor. The Pelennor, it's kind of, yeah. Well, it, the Pelennor this, is this, like the, the field outside the of Minas Tirith. Yeah, yeah, it's just like a, yeah. Yeah. Um, and today on the 30th, what was happening back in the Hobbit happenings, uh, Bilbo, Gandalf, Thorin, and company are getting ready to leave Rivendell um, and set out onward and also on this day in our current events in 3019 arwen comes to the city okay all right well thank you for that and do you have any elvish words to share with us today i do so i have uh the word is tirith which uh, tirith yep oh so like minas tirith uh uh-huh yeah yeah uh, and that is a Cinderin noun, meaning watch, guard, or vigilance. What does Minas mean again? Remind me of that. So, let, well, let's think about that. Minas Tirith, Minas Arnor, Minas Ethel. Yes. So Minas what Morgul. are all those? Minas Morgul. What are all those things? Well, they're towers. Towers, yep. But what does the Minas part mean? Tower. Tower, okay. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And, Sorry. Um, you know... <laughs> You know the the twenty sixth state to join the United States, Minas Sota. Oh, means tower, tower of, of soda. soda. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it means. Yep, yeah. yep. 
I hate you right You're now. You're both on the same note on that one. Uh, soda, <laughs> soda in this case meaning like lime and not, you know, like uh, Coca-Cola. Anyway, Chase, what did we discuss in last week's readings? You know, I'm glad that you listeners have heard the evolution of this podcast from day one. Because <laughs> my jokes maybe are not better, but they're a little more uh, subtle. <laughs> Take it away, Chase. Well, uh, last week I realized that the darkness was an actual real thing that was actually happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were at Rohan for most of the time. And Mary, like Pippin, went into the service for um, Theoden. But that was in a previous chapter. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it should be reiterated. And Theodore was getting saw the darkness come and realized, ah, oh, nuts! I got to go to war, <laughs> and so they start marching to war. But Mary really wants to go with them, and Theoden's like, no, I don't want to take you because I can't take care of you, and no one can take charge of you. But Mary ends up stowing away with someone, mm-hmm. and that's kind of all we get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a few other things that were to note in there. Um, that Gondor is. They send a messenger, but the messenger right. sends like is really weird. How to well, describe it? It was like what was that? Remember, so what did they send specifically? They sent a red arrow, yes, I remember, or an arrow with a red tip, yeah, or yeah. something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like this is help. Ba- this this stuff's bad. Come this and help, bad. please. Yep. There's like darkness and fire and trenches. Oh, I'm spoiling what's happening in this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's just get into uh, what happens in this chapter then. Uh, so, like you said, we left uh, Mary and Awen and <coughs> Dernhelm. I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that at all. <laughs> we left Mary and Dernhelm. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't imply. I wasn't implying anything. I meant that we left Mary and Awen and Eomer <laughs> and Theta and all of the characters we. <laughs> had encountered last chapter we left them in last chapter yeah they're, they're left in last what is, what is, what is, okay okay well, anyway what i mean is that we're switching narr- <laughs> we're switching narrative because the first line of this chapter which we actually talked about last week is pippin was roused by gandalf so we're back right. to their point of view which now we have kind of four points of view going on all at once although we've kind of retired frodo and sam for the present so Pippin's sleeping, Gandalf wakes him up. First thing Pippin says, where's the time? Not where, what? What is the time? Uh, Second thing is... Where's the food? Yes. Where's the beef? (laughs) (laughs) Where's the beef? (laughs) Yeah, and of course, our our poor hobbit friend is disappointed that pretty much all the food that he gets is like a slice of bread and a tiny pat of butter that's much too small and like a glass of skim milk. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and so Gandalf's like, yo, you've been summoned by Denethor. It's time to go. And they go. And then as soon as they get to Denethor, I love this description. It says, you know, they get to the Tower Hall. There Denethor sat in a gray gloom mm-hmm. like an old patient spider, Pippin thought. He did not seem to have moved since the day before. Now, if there's one thing we've learned from Tolkien, what is this one thing that we've learned? <laughs> Spiders are bad. Spiders are bad. <laughs> Yeah, but I also love that description because, you know, like when a spider is dead, like its legs kind of curl up in on itself. Right. Like I can totally picture Denethor like that right now, you know? 
Right, and I think we'll continue to see that happen throughout this chapter too. Uh, and no, I, I absolutely that is like the first really real thing that I noted in this chapter that really stuck out at me. And uh, again, I really like uh, the word gray gloom here because we've been talking about this kind of like, uh, you know, physical gray gloom darkness that's taken over the world, and it's it is manifesting itself as well in in Denethor at this point too. This kind of weird gloominess. Um, so yeah, um, basically Pippin learns what his duties will be as a member of the Tower Guard, and that is to basically uh, entertain the Lord Denethor. Which is great because he says, like, can you sing for me? Does the Shire have any songs? And right. I had this this great moment of, like, Pippin has, like, a panic or just, like, a moment of, like, well, songs aren't, I don't know if Shire folks' songs are good for this area. It almost, to me, almost felt like this, like, comical bit of, like, because they're, like, drunken ballads we say in the pub. like Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, or, 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 like, you know, like, all I know are inappropriate crass jokes and that kind of thing. Well, really the point being that they're kind of rustic yeah, for the exactly. kind of situation and, that we're in. Yeah, and that was the language that was used, right? That it was a rustic song, but in your head you're totally thinking, no, it's just crass and rude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of stuff about butts or something, but, you know. But also, uh, I think you know Pippin is thinking too like you know they sing about about happy things because people in the Shire are not very troubled by these kind of uh, problems that yeah. the rest of the world is currently under um, so yeah it doesn't feel that anything would be appropriate any songs that he know uh, knows at least would be appropriate um, and then and then Pippin gets his uh, he, uh, Denethor sends him to get his kind of like uniform and and arms and whatnot. Um, and it, yeah, it says that they, they took away his clothes kind of like yeah. when you check into prison, not right. that I know from firsthand experience, but, <laughs> but um, as we've but, all seen in the media, <laughs> but it does say that he was allowed to retain the, uh, the, the gray cloak of Lorien, although he was not permitted to wear it while he was, uh, on the clock, so to speak. Right. And uh, so, yeah, so he's, you know, in this kind of dress of the Tower Guard. Again, we've seen it before, black and silver with that very important emblem of the tree. Um, and I, I really liked uh, what, how he looked, the description of how he looked afterwards in this, in this new dress. Uh, it says, he looked now, had he known it, very Erniel Ilferianath, the prince of the halflings that folk had called him but he felt uncomfortable and the gloom began to weigh on his spirits so uh back to that prince of the halflings thing but then also again this gloom that is very much out in the world definitely manifesting itself on on uh everyone I feel like it's a lot like wearing a rented tux and being part of a wedding party but not <laughs> even like best man but being on the end <laughs> That's the vibe I've got. I've done that a few times. Like, I feel very out of place. In yeah, this. yeah, you feel out of place. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure the mm -hmm. last time I wore a rented tux was my junior prom. The legs are always baggy. But anyway, yes, everybody is not. I almost feel like Denethor is like called to like have him sing. I almost feel like part of his his almost like hesitation came from the fact of like everything is bad and everybody mm -hmm. feels bad and everybody mm -hmm. like in this darkness and then. It's around this point where we start hearing the screeching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Pippin's actually talking with his friend Baragond. 
Um, and, you know, they're, they're talking about this gloom in the air and, and Baragond was saying that it, it's totally coming from the enemy. And yeah, it's at this point when Pippin and Baragond are talking that they hear this piercing shriek and both of them are kind of, are, you know, appropriately terrified, uh, because Pippin recognizes it immediately mm-hmm. as this shriek mm-hmm. of a black rider, uh, It's like piercing the heart with poisonous despair. Yeah, yeah. And that poisonous despair, again, I just want to point out these little phrases here and there that are used because it's it's very uh, pointed. Well, what's happening is a bunch of flying Nazgul are freaking out over the... Is it Pelennor Fields? Yeah, over the Pelennor. Mm -hmm. And and they notice that they're, they're kind of zipping about above a bunch of horse riders. Well, I love the way it was stated, though. Uh, wheeling swiftly across it like shadows on an untimely night. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, and they're swooping down. I don't know, like, the way it's described is... I, I really like the way that the scene was described because what we find out, you know, Chase, what we thought last time when we checked in on Marion. Dang it. <laughs> 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 Another dollar into the swear jar. Put up the counter. <laughs> and by swear jar, I mean name jar. Yes. Uh, last time, you know, you thought Faramir was coming back. So this time you're like, okay, this is Faramir, right? Mm-hmm. And I just love the way that the whole thing is described because, you know, you just see these kind of like five little dots. And, the, you know, I, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be described from... Perry, Perry the Hobbit, from his point of view. <laughs> we got a lot of social media outreach about Perry the Hobbit, so we did. <laughs> I might start having to, I don't know, create some fanfic or something. <laughs> but yes, I like that it's described specifically from Pippin's point of view, and like it's not well, something that we... Go ahead. Oh, I was, just, I was just finishing that thought. It's not something we get a closer look at. Yes, and that is something that's really important, that when we finish this chapter, I'd like to maybe think about, like, why specifically we're given these kind of images from Pippin's point of view. Um, okay. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, we, we're seeing this through P- Pippin and Baragond are kind of relaying to us, the reader, what's happening. And uh, they see the these men on horseback and their horses are frightened and they're thrown. And um, then the leader of this group of horsemen sounds his horn and Baragond immediately recognizes that call as belonging it's, to... It's Faramir. It's Faramir. It's Faramir. We've been waiting for a whole book. He's finally here. <laughs> oh, man. Right. He's in trouble, though. Um, but, yeah, he's in trouble because the men are now running on foot towards the city and now the, the Nazgul kind of descends on Faramir. And so as this is happening, then Pippin sees something coming uh, from... Uh, from the city uh, and it looks like a white star and of course we know that this is Speed Racer's Mach 5 yes <laughs> Gandalf, he Gandalf he always turns up when things are darkest go on yes. go on White Rider Gandalf Gandalf he shouted wildly so I just loved that quote from Pippin he always turns up when things are darkest Yes. Because if you remember, like, we, we start the book more or less, and we meet Gandalf within the context of Lord of the Rings, not within the context of Hobbit, but, you know, we meet Gandalf as him 
bring being someone who brings joy to hobbits and hobbits are already fairly joyful uh, mm-hmm. but in this you know he he always shows up when th- or we, he always turns up when things are darkest like it's it's this lovely um i don't want to say complication because it's not a complication but it's this lovely further facet of what we you know have known gandalf as is mm-hmm. there is it could, could you make a connection to some way with um <sighs> the vial that Gladriel gave Frodo, the um, light no. of light no. of Arendil. Nope, not at all. <laughs> okay. All no, right. sorry. I just no. wanted to. Shut <laughs> Before you even said what it was, I just wanted to shut you down. Yeah. Um, the, I don't but, know but, that. I mean, this is specifically. It's not really stated what kind of light it is that Gandalf is conjuring, but I mean, Gandalf is is a servant of of the sacred fire. Yes. Um, and I I, I think you know. I think both of both of these things have a similar effect on the hobbits though. Yes. It, yeah. You know, Gandalf is acting for for Pippin in this moment as the file of Galadriel acts for Frodo and Sam. This is on like a slightly bigger scale. Yeah. But I mean at the same time like it says later on in this chapter it's not really any spoil ledge any spoiling to say it right now. <laughs> uh Sauron does not do his dirty work. Sauron has lieutenants to do that for him. Specifically yeah. the Nazgul. And this is the same. That's what the Astari are for the the Valar. The Astari are their kind of lieutenants in Middle Earth. Not exclusive, you know, not their only ones. But that Gandalf was sent to Middle Earth and sent back to Middle Earth to fulfill this purpose. Right. If this is a chessboard, then Gandalf is like, you know, the queen to to the the, the other side's queen. Right. That's some interesting stuff that I think is definitely going to come up later. Mm-hmm. Um. So yes, where were we? So I mean, uh, they, they they basically they all get in. Yeah. Uh, Faramir yeah. gets up, and then and when when he's kind of like riding alongside with Gan- Gandalf up to the tower, and Faramir does spot a uh, halfling. Does spot well, a halfling. But but before that, but before though, then, if before before Faramir sees the halfling, I want to touch on Pippin's. Hold on, let me find did it. Say, did I almost say, um, did I almost say Mary? I don't know oh, if maybe. you did. I don't know if I did. <laughs> so uh, he catches he catches sight of Faramir. So Pippin, um, he's he's kind of seeing him and seeing that he he looks like he's been terrified and also injured. And then it's so it says, and Pippin gazing at him saw how closely he resembled his brother Boromir, whom Pippin had liked from the first, admiring the great man's lordly but kindly manner. Yet suddenly, for Faramir, his heart was strangely moved with a feeling that he had not known before. Here was one with an air of high nobility such as Aragorn at times revealed less high perhaps yet also less incalculable and remote he knew now why Baragon spoke his name with love he was a captain that men would follow and that he would follow even under the shadow of the black wings hmm. interesting love it. Like, love it. I, I like the fact of the, the comparison Aragorn right there yes. because that we've had enough time with Aragorn to get I mean because I feel like we didn't quite we got Faramir's personality from Frodo and Sam, but this is like kind of like this is a, a, another view of that. Yeah, Pippin from, is giving us something else, and and this is Pippin's like real first encounter with Faramir, mm-hmm. um, and get, gets all that just from seeing him, which is pretty great. And so, of course, the first thing that Denethor wants to do is catch up with Faramir, 
Um, mm-hmm. Although the way it's framed is not really fatherly love checking on a son, but rather like, I need to know what it is that you know. Yeah. How did your errand go that I sent you on? Yo, guys, this was hard to read. This <laughs> was hard yeah, to this read. Was th- this should be hard to read. Yeah. And because... Uh, because Pippin is in the service of Denethor, Pippin is allowed to sit in on this meeting, as is Gandalf. So, like we said, Faramir sees uh, a halfling and is very shocked and says, whence come you, basically? Mm-hmm. You know, why are you here? Um, and Gandalf and Pippin both kind of pick up and like, what do you mean? Why is a halfling surprising to Faramir? Like, they want to know more, but Gandalf gives this kind of knowing look to, to Pippin, which is effectively stating without words don't bring up frodo in front of denethor yep yep um but and and of course you know faramir laying eyes on pippin is uh, is surprised to see him because as we recall this is not the first halfling he's seen uh but but i but to faramir it seems that they're just popping up everywhere now yeah. it's also yeah. it's also explicitly surprising that he's seeing a halfling who is in the garb of the tower guard. Yes. Yes. Things get got weird while you were gone, Faramir. <laughs> things got weird. You've been gone a whole 10 days, yeah. Faramir. Things are yeah, things are not as they were. Just 10 days. <laughs> things got weird fast. Um, um and and so of course Gandalf is uh in like worried to hear that what Faramir says that Frodo and Sam have gone into mortar by Kirith Ungal. And uh, you know, is having like a, a minor panic attack as 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 he would when hearing that. Well, not only is Gandalf concerned, he like legitimately doesn't understand why this would be the the case. Yes, exactly. Um, and then immediately thereafter, he asks, "When you know when did this happen?" And Faramir replies, "At swiftest, they could not come there before today, and maybe they have not come there yet. Indeed, I see what you fear, but the darkness is not due to their venture. It began yestereve, and all Athelion was under shadow last night. It is clear to me that the enemy has long planned an assault on us, and its hour has already been determined before ever the travelers left my keeping. So I like this for two reasons. One, this synchronizes us with book two at the two towers right because all of a sudden we know what is happening with frodo and sam at this moment in time i mean we already knew that this had happened but we didn't have this kind of hard synchronization um since the the black dawn for those two we find out that this invasion has been building and sauron has planned this because this is something that i've always thought of and i don't think um I don't think it's necessarily evident in the text, but I don't think it's supposed to be evident in the text uh, is just the timing of all of this. You know, as we go on, things are getting worse and worse and worse. And it feels like there's a causality between the ring getting closer to Mordor, you know, Frodo getting closer to completing his quest and everything else happening. But really, it's just that this has been going down for a long time. And Frodo was sent on his journey at the last possible moment that he could have been. Yes. Yes. Well, and also... Do you think something that happened? I feel like we're being a little bit more recursive, like like trailing back to previous chapters in this book so far than the previous two. Mm-hmm. But could you could it be that also when Aragorn did his thing with the with the uh, Palantir mm-hmm. that might not have caused this, but be another like thing that yeah, huh? Like, well, Gandalf like blowing on blowing that. on coals basically. G- Gandalf yeah. discusses that. In this chapter as well, because he says, 
you know, it cannot be but five days since Sauron learned that we have vanquished Saruman. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and he makes note of, uh, you know, Pippin's kind of fo- foolishness that had had happened. And then, you know, we, we know, of course, that Aragorn has also uh, looked into the Palantir. So, yeah, uh, the, all these but, little factors are. Hmm? Yeah. And I was what happens is even though Gandalf was like, hey, let's not talk about, you know, let's not talk about Frodo. Like <laughs> Gandalf kind of betrays it. And he's like, what do you mean? He went to Kirith Ungol. Yeah. And then <laughs> after this, Denethor says, my son, your father's old, but not yet daughtered. I can see and hear as was my want and little of what you have said or left unsaid is now hidden from me. So basically I, I, I know what it is that you're not saying. So why don't we just mm-hmm. talk about the ring? Um, uh, and he basically, so Denethor um, kind of, you know, uh, as, We've said immediately. So, you know, his son comes back wounded and uh, clearly ailing. And as Denethor's first uh, mark is to to chastise him for having failed at uh, defending, you know, the outer reaches of of Gondor and uh, basically tells him that he he wishes that Faramir and Boromir's places had switched and that, that Faramir had died in Boromir's place. Oh, that's the part Which that is, hurt. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Dad. That's great. Um, he, he, he calls him out saying basically that Boromir was always loyal to Denethor and says, Faramir, you, you're loyal to, to Mithrandir and, uh, you, you should be, should have been more loyal to your father. Uh, and yeah, then says that Boromir would have brought him a mighty gift, meaning of course the ring. Um, and Faramir responds basically by saying, well, uh, remember that it was you who sent Boromir to that council, which Denethor snaps back. You know, like don't, 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 don't bring up the what what I did. I still regret it. Uh, and and Gandalf intervenes, and then we get more kind of tension and arguing between Gandalf and Denethor because Gandalf. Well, he kind of like comes to Faramir's aid, which says yeah. basically that Bor- like Denethor, you would have just basically hidden this thing away. Mm-hmm. Yet this thing tempted me yes and is tempted everyone who's come in contact with this thing even if you buried it it would still be getting to you and that boromir would not have brought it to you he would have it it would have it would have corrupted him he would have kept it for himself and says you know you would not know your own son um this is you you don't understand the power of this thing yeah Yeah, but i love the way gals says it you know because denethor says you know would it come to me i would not use it we would keep it safe and Gandalf says, comfort yourself, and no case would Boromir have brought it to you. He is dead and died well. May he sleep in peace. Yet you deceive yourself. He would have stretched out his hand to this thing, and taking it, he would have fallen. He would have kept it for his own, and when he returned, you would not have known your son. So, like you said, Gandalf was basically reiterating that this is the best. But the way he does it is, you know, like, kind of, I don't want to say heartless, but it's like, it's a good thing that Boromir died in the way that he did, because otherwise he would have become a much more fallow creature. Yeah, it's 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 uh, Gandalf being honest. Yes, but a little harsh about yes. it because and it's a and it's something that Gandalf doesn't necessarily display himself. Honestly, I don't think we've seen him displayed like this with anyone else. Denethor is a real hard like Denethor seemed reasonable up until this chapter, and now it's like he in this was the discussion like this was the conversation and we go oh this guy is gone this guy's gone this guy's uh-huh. gone yeah and Ooh. and the thing is too is i i think yeah gandalf sounds harsher and it's because 
he doesn't have time left. Yeah. And, and that's something that, that Gandalf said in the, in, in the previous chapter. You know, I don't have time for this. Uh, you know, we, we don't have time to discuss and argue. We don't um, have the time to talk about time. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah. And, and again, you know, we've, we've previously discussed on and on and on why simply taking this ring and hiding it would not work. So Denethor... You don't understand what you're talking about. For all intents and purposes, that's basically what Gollum served as. Right, right. So uh, basically, this 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 kind of gathering now will disperses, and Gandalf and Pippin go back to to their chambers, and um, this is a really great discussion between the two of them because Pippin asks, you know, is there still hope for Frodo? Uh, to which Gandalf replies, you know, there was very little hope for him to begin with. Um, but well, not, it's... Well, uh, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you again because I don't like paraphrasing Gandalf because Gandalf has always written so well. It is, tell me, he's, Pippin said, is there any hope for Frodo? I mean, or at least mostly for Frodo. Gandalf put his hand on Pippin's head. There was never much hope, just a fool's hope, as I have been told. And when I heard of Kirith Ungal, Kirith Ungal, he muttered, why that way, I wonder. Just now, Pippin, my heart almost failed me hearing the name. And yet, in truth, I believe that the news that Faramir brings has some hope in it, for it seems clear that our enemy has opened his war at last and made the first move while Frodo was still free. So now for many days, he will have his eye turned this way and that. So sorry to interrupt you, Katie, but I just love the way that this is written because we... I feel like it's one of the few times that we actually kind of hear fear in Gandalf's voice. Yeah. Uh, Which is... And, 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 you know, er, earlier when uh, he had heard of the um, uh, Kirith Ungal, remember his, his hands were kind of like trembling, shaking. Yeah. shaking. So, yeah, this is we, we truly are seeing fear in Gandalf. Um, and, yeah, that's definitely important to note. But it's also important to note what Gandalf says about the enemy and that he is being... Hasty, which if we've learned anything from Treebeard, don't be hasty. Don't be hasty. <laughs> but but also that you know that shows that there's uh, that the enemy is nervous and that there's weakness. The overarching plan that Gandalf had from the very very beginning is still sound, which is mm-hmm. doesn't matter how long or how hard we fight, we may lose, we may win. It doesn't really matter because that's not the war. That's just the battle. Mm-hmm. What really matters is Frodo Yes. basically going into Mordor. And we now know, like, Gandalf at least now knows that Frodo's still alive. He's still doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be, since now we know that Sauron's going to be even more distracted because he's at war, then that's still, that they still have a shot. Exactly. They still have the shot. It seems very crazy and still very, like, problematic, but... They're right. there. The goal now for the rest of the fellowship, you know, since Frodo split off, was to give him more time. And the way to do that is to distract the enemy. It is fascinating how, like, they do basically come down to being a very complicated distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but then uh, another, the, another great point in this conversation is this discussion of Gollum. And, um, you know, Pippin asked Gandalf why in everything that's good in this world would Frodo and Sam be traveling with Gollum? And, you know, so Gandalf kind of says, you know, well, he expected Gollum and Frodo's paths to converge at some point. Um, 
and 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 while he did expect that he is worried that the creature is dangerous golem is still very untrustworthy right. as we know and have seen yes. but those are events that have not happened yet mm-hmm. technically but yeah. you know Gan- gandalf knowing Gollum knows that and fears that but i've really enjoyed this he says basically he says that there's that there may still be some good to come out of Gollum's actions and he says let us remember that a traitor may betray himself and do good that he does not intend it can be good. so sometimes so you know that's a great little line to just remember and keep in your back pocket that you know uh, even a traitor may betray himself and in doing so be a force of positive change exactly so um yeah that's a a line that we should find interesting but at this point now is this when sorry i'm getting ahead uh, but i i I feel like we kind of need to get it get going with this is the point when the battle's starting to really come towards them now yeah, Denethor basically, so Faramir has just come back and uh, Denethor now is going to send him out to protect Asgiliath. And that is where Mordor is going to strike first. Remember, Asgiliath is kind of that last outpost of, of defense against against that, that Mordor. That's kind of already That's kind of already weakened. fallen mm-hmm. and weakened. Mm-hmm. So does it seem like the best of points to, like, you know. Yeah, and... This this is this is basically a, a suicide mission. It's, it's not a sound strategy. No, at all. And Faramir well, I mean, accepts it though. Denethor, the way he puts it is, it's almost a an issue of pride. Like we can't let the enemy come this far without, you know, seeming valiant enough to put up a fight. Right. But it's also, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of sound military strategy to this, and that is, this is the last choke point we have, so we really should try and hit them as much as we can while we still control it. Right. And that there is a soundness to that strategy. However, the, um, the, the connotation that Denethor gives him is Boromir would have been able to do this. God. And, uh, I'm going to send you in, in, in hopes that maybe you'll succeed, but I'm not really expecting you to. And if you don't, I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with, with, with losing you. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Faramir kind of accepts this and, um, I really like his, uh, last words to his father after, so he accepts this mission and says, then farewell, but if I should return, think better of me, you know, which, which after all this, you know, he said, I, you know, all that Faramir has done is try to please his father and, and this is the response that he gets and, uh, Denethor responds to that, that depends on the manner of your return. Which, again, uh, ouch. Uh, However, Gandalf does give Faramir some comforting words, and those are the last words that are said to him. And, um, you know, tells tells Faramir, you know, your father loves you. and Yeah, well, it, I mean, he it, says, you'll be needed here for things other than war. Yeah. Your father Which, loves you, Faramir, and will remember it in the end. Yeah, and I think also that, that that you will be needed here for things other than war is very important to be said to Faramir because remember, what do we remember about Faramir's character? He's that, bookish in a way yeah. that Warmir never was. Yeah, and that if we remember that very first, back when Faramir met Frodo and Sam, uh, saying, you know, Faramir, I, he, he doesn't love war for war's sake. He only accepts it for the um for the reason of protecting the city that he loves i can't also get past that with that line because that really stuck with me too 
is that this is Tolkien once again harkening back to World War One, mm-hmm. where I imagine a lot of the people, even himself, were young. And it's hard when you're young to think. It's easy for you when you're young to think that your current situation is forever. Mm-hmm. And I could imagine that Faramir is feeling that. And G- G- Gandalf, being the old wise man he is, is making sure that he understands that if you make it, if we live out of this, you will be meant for so much more than you think. Yeah, better. But there are better days ahead. Better things if, ahead. Yeah. If we we just got to save the world first. <laughs> oh, just yeah. we only got four minutes. Fick, fick, four minutes. Bah, I, da, da. I I asked for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so uh, Faramir leaves off, and then it says it was night again. Your news came. A man rode in haste from the fords, saying that a host had issued from Minas Morgul and was already drawing nigh to Osgiliath, and it had been joined by regiments from the south, Herodrim, cruel and tall. And we have learned, said the messenger, that the black captain leads them once again, and the fear of him has passed before him over the river. So this is another kind of synchronization with Frodo and Sam, because we know that they saw this company, uh, this army, leave uh, Minas Morgul. So, bam. Now, at this moment in time, Frodo and Sam are climbing up the stairs. As as you just pointed out, so the black captain is leading uh, this army from the armies from Mordor so um in other words Gandalf's gonna go to help uh and he rides off to Asgiliath to help um and we 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 don't really get much of a description of this battle that happens we just get the return well and uh, also it's a lot of waiting it is people like a lot of like very worried, nervous waiting. Yeah, and ag- and again, here. we're well, seeing this from the point of view of Pippin. Yeah, and yeah, and what happens kind of immediately after we get this news is that basically Osgiliath has been lost because the enemy was building in secret floats and barges on the east side of Osgiliath. Says they swarmed across like beetles. So I mean, they just immediately brought out material and were able to kind of take the west side. Right. So, you know, Gandalf comes back the next day with a bunch of wounded um, wounded men with him um, without Faramir, of course, because Faramir is kind of attempting to hold the very last men together uh, and get them to safety. And it's at this point that we get uh, uh, this quote from Denethor. He's talking to Pippin and Denethor on Sauron. Uh, because Pippin is saying, oh, it's, uh, wait, is, is the enemy himself coming? And Denethor responds, he uses others as his weapons. So do all great lords if they are wise, Master Halfling. Which I think is pointed that if, you know, like Denethor is seeing this, um, uh, uh, like, calling this act of Sauron's of using pawns as all great lords, um, so, I mean, not necessarily aligning himself with the enemy. Absolutely not. No. But just, I don't know. It's just a, a little bit of a weird statement to make, I think. He's a weird dude right now. <laughs> he is a weird well, dude. Well, he's just going to get weirder. Um, so, Gan- yeah, Gandalf has come back. And um, Denethor makes a jab at him about not being able to really fight off the Black Captain. And I additionally really like Gandalf's response to that about uh, that's with this kind of prophetic um, uh, words about about the black captain 
uh, and says that uh, not by the hand of man shall he fall and hidden from the wise is the doom that awaits him. So, you know, Gandalf doesn't know uh, what's going to happen to the black captain, except for according to legend, not by the hand of man shall he fall. Yes. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, we they, they need reinforcements. And, and by this and point, fast. they don't they don't think that Rohan is coming. Right. Yeah. Fair. Where where oh, is Rohan? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. They keep they keep repeating that over and over. It's like yeah. Rohan has abandoned us. Rohan's not coming. And Gandalf's like, no, no, Rohan's gonna come. Yeah, and Gandalf says, you know, we are likely to see other newcomers before Rohan could even arrive. Remember, they're mm-hmm. far away. Um, yeah, but. But Care uh, says fugitives from Care Andros have already reached us. The isle has fallen. So previously, it was just minorly established that this is an island that was in the river that they were kind of using to try and hold people back. So as their outposts are falling, the men who remain have been fleeing to Minas Tirith. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and in response to this, Denethor says, "Some have accused you, Mithrandir, of delighting to bear ill news. But to oh, yeah. me, this is no longer news. It was known to me ere nightfall yesterday." So, uh, here we have more Denethor being super antagonistic uh-huh. and mm-hmm. also saying, I already know this. So, remember how we talked about Denethor has kind of this, this method of foresight. Yeah. Um, and th- there was another reference to this earlier in the chapter that uh, we didn't make mention of. But again, this they're, they're, like Pippin had a weird feeling like he was being watched, you know. So, yeah, again, like weird, weird weirdnesses of Denethor. Um so, yeah, Denethor sends out, you know, a, a, another small company of riders to go and protect the men who are retreating. And Gandalf goes with them once again using this white fire against the armies and manages to get them back safely. However, uh, one of the Nazgul's arrows hits Faramir. Mm-hmm. And these are already, we know, bad news. They're bad news bears. They've done bad things. They've done, they, the weapons of the Nazgul have done bad things to Frodo. Yes. That he will keep forever. So this is not good. Yeah. Already. I mean, any weapon of the enemy is going to be bad, but particularly, yeah, this is, these are poisoned. Um, so Denethor has them. Uh, you know, make a bed for Faramir in his chamber. And then we get this image of Denethor where he looks kind of death-like. Yeah. He has become, like, he he, he looks very, he looks, if possible, like, older and wearier and death-like. He looks really close to how Faramir, I guess, looks in the bed. He looks even worse than Faramir. Yeah, he looks worse than Faramir because at least Faramir is a young man. (laughs) Right. Um... So yeah, this is this is going on, and then Sauron's armies are surrounding the city. This is a cool, really well. Okay, you know what I mean. Not this cool, is a very but... fascinating imagery that was brought up that I couldn't help but think of World War One. Mm-hmm. Could not help but think of that. Yeah. Like oh, direct, yeah. Directly referencing World War One tactics. Digging trenches. Uh... But before this, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that in the movies they strip away a lot of the ancillary characters. Um, and the world feels all the richer for having them back in. And this is one of them is, uh, you know, previously we've just heard slightly about the Prince of Dol Amroth, yeah. who has, has come in at this moment with his swan knights and, you know, rescued Faramir in that moment. Um, I think it was wise to cut them from the movies because the way the movie is told is kind of, 
inherently from an omniscient perspective and that's not the way that the book is told but when yeah. you're reading this from the book you're like oh the prince of dole Amroth, who's this but like pippin doesn't know pippin just knows the name yeah. yeah and he just knows that he's this you know prince in shining armor with a blue banner that's riding for for gondor and has has come at the right time yeah yes yeah um but yes then a- shortly after this basically they lose the pelinor and uh, just withdraw entirely to within the the walls of Minas Tirith and as Chase was saying orcs start to dig trenches they start digging trenches there's like fire and they're outside of the arrow range yeah and great how how it's put within the book like engines of war yes are just turned to like spill out onto yeah. the field. Ca- yeah. Catapults and the like. And it says, at first men laughed and did not greatly fear such devices for the main wall of the city was of great height and marvelous thickness built ere the power and craft of Numenor waned in exile. So again, you know, this city is built to withstand great abuse and to be, you know, a stronghold against, against the enemy. But, but something interesting happens. The catapults start lobbing fire yeah that explodes and in such a way that kind of like freaks them out like they're weirded mm-hmm. out by the fire then something else gets thrown that it's doesn't worse. explode that is worse which are the heads of soldiers who had fallen a skilliath yeah and this was a great moment because it's specifically noting like oh this is this is the weapons of sauron it is like magic darkness and, and just despair and despair yeah. well because it, that's yeah. the thing yeah so they you know these these men are going forward to kind of put out these fires and and they 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 see that these are the heads of soldiers who have perished at Asgiliath and at the other outposts and um so there's this passage that is like all i can think is man that's dark it is um so this says uh you know, it's talking about how the, these heads are, you know, dismembered and stuff and, and, and that have the crude kind of symbol of the eye drawn on them. And then, so it says, but marred and dishonored as they were, it often chanced that thus a man would see again the face of someone that he had known who had walked proudly once in arms or tilled the fields or ridden in upon a holiday from the green vales in the, in the hills. And that is such a dark, dark yeah sentiment because that's i mean and this is clearly very informed by the by the war as well by tolkien's experiences in the war um you know that these men are seeing once again the face of someone they knew in this like incredibly horrific context i can't remember if i said it last week or the week before about the tone of this book being different but i was i was noting it to being like a allegory for maturity in a way mm-hmm. of how like the fellowship of the ring was starting off as like immature and then growing up within that. And then we finally get to the point where, cause this was, this is probably the bleakest moment we have read so far. It actually surprised me. Like it took me aback. I was kind of like, Oh, <laughs> I, I really didn't expect to yeah, read this, this today. Yeah. Um, kind of, kind of, kind of moment. And I can't, couldn't help but not think of those statements I was making in a mm-hmm. few a few episodes ago. Yeah, and, and indeed- more more things are happening. It's getting worse and worse. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nazgul came again, and as the Dark Lord now grew and put forth the, his strength, so their voices, which uttered only his will and his malice, were filled with evil and horror. Ever they circled above the city like vultures that expect their fill of doomed men's flesh. Yeah. And so, of course, the response of the men to all of this is despair. And that, as you had said earlier, Chase, is, you know, yet another of Sauron's weapons and 
possibly, I would say, one of his strongest weapons is this despair and dread that uh, just falls over people. And it causes people to just stop and give up. Um, I think that's such, like, that whole passage is, you know, so clearly informed by real-world experiences. And again, so incredibly dark and horrific. And it also says that this, you know, the city is strong. The uh, fortifications of the city are strong. Even if they could keep Sauron out, though, he has one weapon which nobody can defeat, which is hunger. Yeah, that's they're they're locked in. Their words have left me. Uh, they <laughs> they're cut off. Yes. And then it says, during all of this black day, Faramir lay upon his bed in the chamber of the White Tower. Wandering in a desperate fever, dying, someone said, and soon dying, all men were saying upon the walls and in the streets. So again, let's add more to the despair. <laughs> is, this, is this the point where Denethor's like, oh, we're not going to bury him? Well, yeah. Or, we're gonna... So yeah, Denethor basically is, you know... Kind of a faithless ruler, you know? Well, and additionally, and I think even more importantly... Uh, so Denethor, what has Denethor forgotten to do right now, basically? Denethor has forgotten to lead his people and to protect his city. Now, what was it that Faramir had been talking about, about how this great uh, kingdom of Gondor had fallen into decay because, you know, the leaders had forgotten to defend the kingdom uh, and, and, and had failed to to defend the kingdom well and also there was something that i i I failed to get it there was a point where like some soldier like asked him kind of like what should we do and he doesn't really i don't have the wording exactly but it's like doesn't really even give him really a good response no he doesn't just kind of like whatever i don't care denethor basically said you know he you know do do what do whatever i'm gonna stay here uh and and he says you know you can follow the great pilgrim now because uh essentially he's leading you um, so again, this man who is supposed to be this, this steward of Gondor, who is supposed to lead and protect his people has completely, uh, um, succumbed to his own madness. Right. And so, yeah, meanwhile, Gandalf, of course, does take over the defense and, um, and it says, which is an echo of what Pippin expressed earlier, wherever he came, men's hearts would lift again and the winged shadow is passed from memory. So yeah, basically Gandalf is their only hope right now. Right. Um, so this onslaught continues and the armies of Mordor are attacking the walls of the city. And uh, Denethor, again, is not really going to do anything about it anymore and basically says, just you, should, you know, just give up and burn with the city because that's what's going to happen. And he gives into his own sorrow and, and despair yeah mm-hmm. well because, because a messenger comes and says the first circle of the city is burning what are your orders you are still lord and steward not all will that's, follow with randier that's the part i was thinking of yeah. yeah and denethor says why why do fools fly better to burn sooner than later for burn we must and then at this moment denethor release turns to turns to pippin and says farewell peregrine son of paladin you know uh your service has been short and now it is drawing to an end i release you from the little that remains go now and die in what way seems best to you uh and then denethor basically 
commands his servants like we're going to the funerary hall we get a very quick description of the funerary hall and the fact that it's behind a closed door which can only be opened by specific people at specific times yeah and i love how like pippin is seeing all this and is like pippin is yeah i gotta go tell gandalf oh well, god P- yeah pippin is kind of watching in horror but again he's following because you know pippin says i'm not going to leave your service as long as you as you're living because i oh no this is literal sw- oh yeah, no exactly uh and yeah so um denethor has gone bonkers um and basically is going to have a funeral pyre built for himself and for Faramir and going to have himself burned um, and calls calls for like dry wood and oil and a torch so th- that they will burn quickly. And that's when Pippin's like, I gotta go yeah. get <laughs> yeah. Gandalf. And Pip, you know, Pippin basically tells all of the servants there, do not obey Den- Denethor's orders. Just try to slow him down. He's, he's mad. He's gone mad. I'm going and, to and, find Gandalf. And someone says, who is the master of Minas Tirith, the Lord Denethor or the Grey Wanderer? <laughs> and Pippin, I love his response, the gray wanderer or no one it would seem. Right. And then as he's running out, guess who Pippin runs into? Baragond. His, his friend Baragond. And Baragond is like, where are you going, per, you know, Master Peregrine? To find Mithrandir, Pippin answered. And uh, and again, Denethor has gone mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Pippin <laughs> says, Denethor's gone mad. You need to stall. And Baragon says, you know, my service is my service and my oath is an oath. I, I have to do as he says. And Pippin basically says, you need to not, you need to break your oath because breaking your oath is going to be in the service of good. This right. is one of those times where courage comes from not obeying. <laughs> yes. Yes. From breaking apart. Yes. So Pippin's, you know, running off to find Gandalf. And it's at this moment that we have... Um, Grand, uh, yeah. Well, we up, get a great we get a great <laughs> description of what's going on because Pippin's been out of it for a couple of hours. So he goes down, and it says, you know, there's a great assault that's been going on since the middle of the night. So we got Mumakul who are dragging siege engines up, and then it says, yet their captain cared not greatly what they did or how they might be slain. Their purpose was only to test the strength of the defense and keep the men of Gondor busy in many places. It was against the gate that he would throw his heaviest weight. Very strong it might be, wrought of steel and iron and guarded with towers and bastions of indomitable stone. Yet it was the key, the weakest point in all that high and impenetrable wall. So remember, how did, how did the enemy succeed at Helm's Deep? By finding the weak point. The oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. And yeah. this is exactly what's happening again. So Grand, as Katie mentioned, is this giant wrecking, this giant ram, great Battering as a forest ram. tree, mm-hmm. 100 feet in length, swinging on a mighty chain. And if you remember back to our Silmarillion episode, Grand, they named it in memory of the hammer of the underworld, underworld of old. I kind of remember that. Yep. So um, basically what happens is the, the, the black captain once again kind of shrieks in this unintelligible ancient language um, and they, this battering ram kind of blasts against the, the, the gate three times. Uh, on the third time succeeds and now the door shatters and the black captain is into the first ring of the city and everyone is scattering in terror. And Except. Pippin... And exactly, except for as Pippin watches from above, Gandalf is basically taking on um, the Witch King on his own. All is yes. So, and I like the Lord of the. I I have to. Or you are you gonna read it? Wait, what? What? Wait, where are we at? Uh, the last page. 
the, 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 the gate has broken, and it says, En rode the Lord of the Nazgul, a great black shape against the fires beyond he loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. En rode the Lord of the Nazgul under the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed, and all fled before his face. All save one, there waiting, silent and still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax, Shadowfax who alone among the free horses of the earth endured the terror unmoving steadfast as a graven image. And this, yeah. spoilers, this is my favorite part in the whole chapter. Yeah. Because it, I guess people are going to note that the things that I, the chase the chase likes from these <laughs> books are the most metal moments. <laughs> and the part and this where is pretty great. Yeah. the witch king... This all right. This, so well, Gandalf. Yeah, go ahead. First, sorry. Gandalf first um, throws throws some words at him, and says, uh, "You cannot enter here. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master." Uh, and the Witch King's response to this is to laugh, and it's and at th- this moment, and yeah, he, and he throws back his hood. And there's nothing there but a crown, a crown. sitting mm-hmm. upon nothingness. That blew my mind. Mm-hmm. I was so excited during the part. And then he just basically calls him an old fool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you old not know fool, death? this, is, this mm-hmm. is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now, you curse in vain. And with that, he lifted high his sword and flames ran down the blade. Yeah. Ah, Gandalf did not move. Yep. No, he doesn't. And, and then, and then what happens? Through. But it's 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 daybreak. Uh, we get so a, a cock crows, signaling the morning, and immediately after that, we hear horns sounding from the north. And what do we know but that the riders of Rohan are here finally? So when this chapter was getting so bleak, when leaders are burning themselves in order to stay away from this madness, and, and we a got witch, the witch king, king is broken in to a point where that no enemy has ever gotten further and has a flaming sword and and a headless body, Knights of Sidonia is playing in the background. <laughs> this, <laughs> these horns come out and there's blaring hope, kind of echoing back to what. Gandalf had been talking yes. before about how this seems really bad, but there's still hope or whatever, even if I myself am not feeling it. Right, exactly. So um, throughout this chapter, uh, as, as we wrap this up, um, we so we got kind of an evolution of Pippin's character even more than we've had in the past, which I would argue we get for each of the hobbits you know basically the you know the hobbits each have their kind of like coming of age story that they go along throughout this this whole book of lord of the rings um and pippin goes from feeling there is even a wording where pippin feels as though he is a very different hobbit from the one that left the shire and that he now feels like a small soldier and even though he feels that way he does he still does feel out of place but it's true he's um He's a, he's he's a different hobbit than he was uh, at at the beginning. Um, additionally, I think it's important to note that all of these battle scenes, um, we really get them from f- not from the perspective of within the battle. We get them from Pippin's point of view and from Baragon's as well at times. And it's it's brilliant. Yes. It's brilliant because you're getting somebody who doesn't interact with this at all uh-huh. ever 
Yeah. This is a first time experience. Yeah. And that all of, you know, all of this view of this battle is from the eyes of someone who feels out of place in, um, in this world of, you know, war and, 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 and great soldiers. This book's so, this book's so good. But it, but it, it, (laughs) but it makes the experience no, no less horrific, of course, you know. Well, in many ways, it makes it even more horrific. It has much more weight to it because this is a person who comes from a place that, you know, an average day would basically be having a good meal. (laughs) What our perception of what a really damn good day is. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's ordinary day. That's what's brilliant about this. Right. And these these, you know, small, you know, self-described insignificant feeling people are um, kind of thrust into these. I was all all that I have to add is that I know this is not an allegory, but I cannot help but view Denethor in light of people like Neville Chamberlain, you know, leaders who saw World War Two coming and decided to appease Hitler rather than take any real preventative action. And again, yeah, you know, leaders who have failed to do what they're there to do, which is to defend their city. Yeah. Yep. So well, I already spoiled my favorite bit. So. I was going to say, since Chase took that uh, that approach, I will choose a different favorite bit, <laughs> which, uh, give me just one second to find this. But he just moment. takes off his hood. There's nothing there. It's awesome. <laughs> I was like, I expected I, so no, many like, other things, is, but I didn't expect nothing to be there. This is another moment, like Chase's uh, mind blown. <laughs> actually, I think mine is probably just the, the two moments in which it says that kind of Gandalf's mere presence brought hope to the situation. And this this fearlessness of Gandalf, not... Not uh, like a recklessness, but uh, kind of a, he's resolute, you know, he's steadfast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I can't decide between two things, really. Uh, one, one favorite moment, of course, is Shadowfax being the only, you know, the only mm-hmm. horse in all the world to, to be standing there resolutely before the Witch King of Angmar. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty great. And again, I will always like feel happy at the badassery of shadow facts. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think also a favorite moment of mine is Gandalf's words to Pippin about Gollum. And uh, in that, um, you know, e- uh, a traitor may betray himself and do good that he does not intend. I think that line is very, very important. And uh, it's an interesting notion. All right. Well, anything else or shall we? Switch to our general recommendations. That's all I had from the text. Yeah. All right. Well, mine is very New York specific. I'll get out of the way quickly. Bagel. Uh, I I just saw <laughs> what? Nothing. A bagel. <laughs> he said. I I just saw the musical on stage. She loves me, starring Laura Benanti, Zachary Levi, and Jane Krakowski. You were talking about this last week. Mm-hmm. And it was so good. Oh my god. It was. I mean. It's basically the same story as she's or you've got mail. They're both based on the same Hungarian play. It was just I I was charmed. It was lovely. I was any other musical like this, I would say is just kind of throwaway. But this one was just kind of so sweet and endearing. And I got a little teary eyed at the end. It's just Mm -hmm. very good. It closes on July 10th. So if you're in New York and you have the opportunity, go see it. It's 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 really worth it. If not, watch the video on YouTube uh, of their performance at the Tony Awards. I need to watch that then. I'm going to definitely check that out. Because I was very curious about it after you talked about it last week. 
All right. So Chase, uh, what is your favorite thing? Well, I feel like to to briefly mention, I think a new segment of the show, which will be Chase does horrible things to his MoviePass account. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, I'm just going to say this briefly. I saw Warcraft, which was an incoherent mess that had cool stuff in it, but I will not be watching it again. But the real thing I want to say is I'm so very happy to say that um, I'm that I'm reading Wonder Woman comics again. And I never thought I would be happy reading Wonder Woman comics again because after, God, like 10 years of them being terrible, Wonder Woman just came back uh, under the purview of Greg Rucka, one of the writers who worked on it during the 80s. And it's amazing. They just came back and now Wonder Woman is like really, really good. So there's like two issues right now. They're doing two series at the same time. One's like Wonder Woman comma or colon rebirth and one of them's just the new wonder woman the new version of wonder woman and it's a lot about like her them reconciling a lot of things with um her identity and her past so it's i'm in a position of transition where i'm moving and like having a figure like wonder woman like back in comics and i actually care again is awesome it's a good feeling it's a really good feeling (laughs) because they've they're doing some really creative stuff with her storyline right now uh so it's good. It's really good. I'm happy they're starting it like this. All right. Well, that's awesome. Anything else to add? Well, I don't have a recommendation per se, but uh, my favorite thing of the week is the sit-in that the House Democrats are staging at this moment yeah, as we're recording their po- right this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, definitely still happening. I mean, that's leadership, can I just say. And um, action is so refreshing i've been following that all day what mm-hmm. was interesting about it was when uh the cameras got shut off yep yep the yep. House representatives and they were basically they're like uh-uh it's 2016 and they're periscoping it. exactly yeah like it's kind of an awesome little moment GOP, you can't hide this <laughs> <laughs> uh just jumping onto this uh john lewis is an american hero yes, yes. oh uh, yes yes he is 100 percent that's all I have to say. I have, I yeah. have so much love for John Lewis right now. He was doing sit-ins during the civil rights movement in the 60s, and he's doing it again and he's, now. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's like I – this this is one of those moments where I felt proud Yeah. to be an American. You know, it's, it's very easy to have moments where I'm ashamed of our country um, and our inaction when action is needed. And um, this was one of those moments that made me made me feel I, pride. I, I just want to take a moment and not soapbox this, although I'm going to soapbox this. I, I know not everybody agrees with our political opinions. And no, they don't. For the most part, I try not to make this a political show, but I'm gay and my mere existence is politicized. I don't have the option to or the, the freedom of not being a political object. So I'm going to take this moment and say that this is necessary you know this this action has to be done that my favorite quote from the day actually i don't remember who represent what the representative said it she got up there very quickly said it and then she left and no one could be able to throw up her name but she said i am tired of offending the mentally ill by saying that racist criminals and terrorists are mentally ill yeah that was one of my 
This is yep. a little bit bigger than anything else. A lot of people want to bring up to me. It's like, but this, this, this. I'm like, it's a little bigger than all of those things. This is kind of like something that's been needed to happen yep. for like 20 this years is, This is a myriad of issues. Um, Coming and, to a head. Yeah. And the fact the fact that uh, that people are taking action is uh, refreshing and very much needed. All right. But in a very different, um, much more thankful, much happier moment, I would just like to say that this month uh, that ends today has been the largest uh, month for us in terms of Patreon. We, we've gotten several new subscribers. Uh, I'm super grateful for all of you. And uh, I also noticed that we have a couple of new reviews on our iTunes page. And I just wanted to take a moment to, to read one that was really very sweet. And I think all of us are very, very, very thankful for. Um, so the review is titled dot 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 and I'm Fatty Lumpkin by Star <laughs> by Starsong 119 says this is the best podcast I've ever listened to I love the mix of insights from all and Katie's trove of knowledge about Tolkien and the downright fun of John's song parodies finally might I add, <laughs> I'm going to editorialize here and say finally someone gets it uh, and Chase's Tolkien newbie re- revelations. This podcast inspired me to finally read The Silmarillion because I felt like I was reading it along with some friends. Thanks for all you do, and please keep going. Uh, I just wanted to say that's why we started this podcast, so people could read along. So it's it's just really reassuring and fulfilling to, to have that, that kind of... Um, have someone not even say that to us on social media, but yeah. to post that on our iTunes page. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to segue this into a shameless plug. Please leave a similar rating on our iTunes page. Thank <laughs> you. Love you. Bye. <laughs> um, but with that, we do have several new uh, Patreon subscribers. So Katie, if you want to do us the favor of recognizing their support. Uh, so once again, uh, we would like to give a thank you to our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate each and every one of you for uh, helping us out with monetary donations. It really helps us to maintain our website and purchase equipment when we need it. Um, additionally, we are hopefully going to figure out other fun things to do. Um, so stay tuned for that. So thank you once again to Tariq, Ignatius Pendergraf, Devin Mann, Ariel Alm, Brian Osborne, Dana Victor, Jason Savage, Anna Dunlany, Jiang Fua, Kyle Thompson, Michael Smith, Mike Williams, Jacob Vera, Verma, Ben Goldstein, Madison Roberts, Aaron Crawford, Benjamin John Macy, Avon McMaster, and Michael Laney. <laughs> now, Katie, can you say that in one breath? 19. No, I cannot. <laughs> 19 of them. 19 of them. 19. Thank- yeah. For all we know, for all we know, we're recording with a few days left in June. So maybe by the time this episode airs, fingers crossed, we'll have a few more. Perhaps yeah. you'll hear your name on the we're podcast currently next week. Just a, we're currently just a couple of dollars away from our next stretch goal, which is merch. Uh, mm-hmm. Things like posters, pins, you know, buttons. Uh, and everybody who is a recurring donor at the $5 level will get our merch as we roll it out included in their patronage so that's something to think about mm-hmm. uh join us next week as we discuss chapter five the ride of the rohirrim i am john i'm katie and i'm chase thank you for listening to talking tolkien you can find us online at talkingtolkien.com and you can send us an email to the professor at talkingtolkien.com we do our best to respond to each email so please let us know about your thoughts theories and themes you'd like us to discuss in the show 
We are also Talking Tolkien on Facebook and Twitter, and we love hearing from you. If you're not already a subscriber, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. We would particularly appreciate it if you would give us a rating on iTunes, as it really helps us to show up in searches and reach a new audience. We also have a Patreon page, where you can donate as little as $1 per month to help our podcast grow. Through your generous support, we've been able to purchase many new pieces of equipment, helping us bring you a better-sounding, more professional podcast. Nothing makes us more excited than a new pledge, and we greatly appreciate all the support we've received so far. So far, my favorite chapter of this book. <laughs> not the, not the. Wait, hold on. I'm gonna say Return of the King. <laughs> so we're not we're not syncing anymore. You're just doing it with our introductions, right? Yeah, yeah. That seems to work right. better since you started off anyway. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Tolkien. Today we are discussing Chapter Four of Book One of The Return of the King, The Siege of Gondor. Now. Hopefully you're familiar with the podcast because I say that every time. I, I don't think you'd randomly start on chapter four if you weren't familiar with the podcast. So how about we cut through the clutter and Katie, you take it away with today in Middle Earth and on this day in Middle Earth. And which, are, which is the same thing. I need to just start over. Yeah, you need to start that <laughs> one over. That was that was know. crazy. I don't know what I was going. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Tolkien. Today, we are discussing Chapter 4 of Book 1 of The Return of the King. 